All right. Uh, well, when I was in Seoul, they handed out uh, as as gifts for the audience, and then obviously for the speakers, everyone got the gifts. You know, you go to these little conferences. Where I was on a spring tour, and uh, you know, t-shirts. Everyone loves a t-shirt, right? I mean, you love a t-shirt. Love them. Yeah. And then, you know, I used to be a little down on the conference t-shirts, but now if it's like the, you know, just like the software defined t-shirts, the uh, t-shirts you might get from our sponsors, if it's that soft one, those go a long way. I mean, I do have, I do think that I've, I've, uh, I've sort of entered the phase of my life where I'm always dressed to, if I need to, in a pinch, I could go to a funeral because I'm dressed in like grays and, and blues. So I'm kind of set with that. Uh, it'd be a very casual funeral. You know, we didn't need <laughs> the, the dress for this funeral is casual. <laughs> Startup casual uh, yeah. would be great. Anyways, uh, they gave out these uh, hoodies at the Soul Spring Tour. Oh, nice. And, and like get a, that. Yeah, get a load of this. They're white. Oh. Yeah, wow. I, I know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, white! Like, do they have? They must have like something on them. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a little little over on the uh, on the. Uh, oh, I'm just realizing it's over the right breast, whereas usually logos are on the left breast, right? Is that is that this right? This is a very bold choice for tech conferences. White is a very difficult giveaway to pull off. This is this is this is why it's the the topic here. So, anyways, on the right breast, it says pivotal, and then I think on the back, uh, you know, list just above the the butt is uh, a spring logo because you know it's a it's a little <laughs> little uh, road show all about spring you know we got it we got it we got tasty meets paul there talks about the kubernetes and your uh your helm charts and all that kind of and spinnaker at the end there and then i was i was uh hosting it emceeing it introducing people which you know that's that's a fun thing to introduce people but i i i would insist on let's have a you know a couple minutes at the beginning to talk about uh pivotal and pivotal cloud foundry and then it was off to the races of uh, talking about spring stuff man i'll tell you what people love these uh these roadshow events as as i guess they should i mean the speaks the speakers are all good and, and things like that but it is um you know, I guess I guess you see vendors who put these events on, and and now I go to a lot of them, being at a vendor that we put on. But I think there may be a little underappreciated marketing thing to do your own little road shows regionally, and and uh, a lot of people show up for that. They're very interesting. Now, what do you think, though? Are you is it one of these things where it turns in like you're preaching to the choir, like you know all these guys, and everyone kind of knows this, so it's kind of like a reunion, which ha- plays hmm. its own role, or are there a lot of like new people, like okay? The sales rep came by a bunch of times. We saw a bunch of demos, and now we like we want to like really see what it's like. And they're kind of like you know, if you will, like you're pulling people into the tribe. Like, what what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, that, yeah. That I think one? I think I think I think with somewhat with something like spring, like so, you know, quote unquote everyone, what you know, whatever that means. Many many people use spring and are familiar with it, right? Um, however, I think I think mostly what people like these events for is it's like a. Uh, I think there's maybe a couple that you pay like 50 bucks to go to as just sort of like a gating, but they're basically free. And it's really just like an educational thing. Like here's the new version of Spring Cloud, whatever. And uh, here's a here's a, a demo of using it. So it really is like kind of an educational sort of thing uh, you can go to because it's all like it's all like demos and coding and stuff. Uh, so most of the people who are there, they are familiar with Spring, but from just talking to them briefly and like hearing the questions they ask. I, I don't think it's like we're it's, it's not the choir sort of thing. It's more like, it's more like teaching the choir, you know, updated hymns to sing, to stick into the metaphor there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty educational. And I think, um, 
<laughs> I keep saying that. Uh, that was part of my introduction is we're here today to educate you and uh, for your, your learning or whatever. Uh, but I think, I think there is a fair amount of like, so, you know, you have your prospects and customers and you want to, you want to invite people in your pipeline to come to that event as well, just as, as sort of the, um, you know, the classic, the classic big enterprise sales thing of just kind of like this rolling, like constantly being in a conversation. Cause you know, for, for people like Pivotal, most of the attendees are not the, uh, the decision makers, the deciders, the, the checkbook holders, the stakeholders, the people who close the deal, but they are, the, they are part of the company and you want to like, you know, you want those people on your side and for them to be able to use your, your technology. And, and then you can go talk business value with other people. Right. Well, do you have what I like to call the, uh, people call it the exact track, but like, I, I like to call it the, mm. the, the, the buying authority, the, yeah. uh, the signature yeah. authority track. Like, is there like a, a room or like a track for the guys? Like, okay, my team's here today. They're learning about spring. Yeah. And we're, we're thinking about going with you guys. Uh, we're thinking about digital transformation. Is, is there like some kind of track or meeting that's happening? I, I, that like I have, is that the dinner after the event? Yeah. Well, the short answer is no. And, and the longer answer is like I'm, I'm always trying to get us to start doing that. Namely, so I'll have something to do. Uh, <laughs> Cause you know, you don't want to have a bunch of like, here's, here's some live coding and here's like, you know, deploying Kubernetes. And then I'm up there like, have you thought about digital transformation? <laughs> like that, I don't think that really plays well with the audience. Although I think I'm going to be presenting next year. There's a bunch of dates for them presented. This would be a really slick commercial if we had planned this. Uh, but there's the, all the dates. I think if you go to what is it like springtourplatform.io, uh, you know, I, I should really know these things. Uh, by now, yeah, no springtour.io, yeah, but I think to let the audience do other work. Yeah, yeah they can yeah. Google, they can figure it out. Yeah, but we we have a whole bunch of cities at, at, uh, there, and I think I'm actually going to be giving talks at them, the ones I go to. Mm-hmm. But yes, there was one time where we had an event in Kansas City and Omaha, of all places, um, and we did have like a little two hour exec track where. Uh, it was it was like some man like we had some Garmin managers talking and then I forget who the other customer was in Omaha but they were great like you know in that way you could have not only developers be there but also uh, just sort of like team managers or managers of manager types and it was especially good because you know the thing you want to do in these kind of uh, executive summits if you will or dinners is you want to have other customers do most of the talking. Right. Exactly. You're, you're basically like, I'm just going to talk for five. And I don't know why I'm always changing my voice. It's just funner. But <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to talk for five minutes just to tell you, you know, what Pivotal does. And we've been around for 25 years and we got this. And, you know, you give the whole pitch, which which is fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm terrible at that because I, you know, I. I'm just bad at it, but I this re- is what you got to do. We got yeah. Come on. Yeah, I'm sure, Andrew, just go get on your boss. Be like, hey, next year, all the spring one tours, they're going to have like a two hour because it doesn't need to be all day. None of the managers execs want to be there all day. One, that's it. You start it right after the keynote goes two hours. Uh-huh. It's just one hour of you doing the digital transformation update, whatever, you know, your normal spiel. And then you just get probably one customer to like talk about one of the great pivotal transformations in the area. And then you do 30 minutes of like mm. Q&A at the end. And the Q&A, I will guarantee you, amongst that group, once you get it rolling, will spill out over, you know, like once you adjourn, yeah. people will go off and start talking. Because that's like the most, you know, I, I think just as an industry, like we're like afraid, like maybe it's, there's, like, I don't know, something about all of it together. Like 
like the the groups that are like buying, like making the buying decisions, like kind of all don't want to admit that they'd have questions. I don't know why mm. or like why they could benefit from like talking yeah. to each other more. Yeah. Like it's like the most misunderstood part is like, no, this group of people would totally uh, enjoy meeting each other and talking about it and kind of having some frank discussions, even some stuff with like people, people around or any vendor around be like, what'd you pay? What are you paying? Yeah. Did it work? Yeah. Did it not work? So, so next year I look forward to the, we'll call it the, the, <laughs> the spring one door executive track. It's yeah. two hours. That's I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep pushing done. for it. I'll see. What, I mean, I, I happen to know very, uh, I'm now, about to be very one good thing friends we know, with people. Nobody from Pivotal it. listens to this podcast. So like no, it'll, no. it'll probably not, it will not get to them, but, but if it did, they should make it happen. <laughs> yeah. I barely listen to it. I don't listen to it when, <laughs> uh, when I'm talking. <laughs> all right. We're all going next year. And then if, if you are at one of these things, make sure to go to the Michael Cote executive track. That's yeah. one next year. Yeah. Or, or we could just spontaneously have one. We'll just, we'll just have an executive track. We, we do have open spaces. Now I know, mm-hmm. I know what you're going to say, but I'm just saying there's some flexibility. Yeah. Built that's in there. that one. That's bad marketing. The uh-huh. execs don't uh-huh. want open spaces. No. No, 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 that's not, that's, that's not good. Don't start it that way. No. Don't, don't start with, don't, don't start do... with the, uh, uh, post-it notes. Don't start. Oof. with notes. So Don't do that. Don't please, do that. please. Sticky, <laughs> sticky notes. Post-it notes is trademark. Oh, that's right. I gotta know. say sticky notes. Apologize. <laughs> now, we should do this though. If actually we'll go the other way. Uh-huh. Hey, if anyone knows like five or 10, uh, group of executives that want to get together, in some city, like we'll come to them. Mm. We'll, we'll just email us and like, we'll do like, well, I guess we'll do a pivotal thing or we'll do a software defined. We'll talk. have a, a software defined talk executive round table. Summit. Yeah. We'll have the executive round table and, and somehow we'll, we'll get there. We'll find some space. It'll be great. It'll yeah. be fun. You can, you can talk to, talk to each other. Talk, talk to, uh, well, first talk, we'll talk to, yourself. to them and then they can talk to them and then they can all talk to each other. Yeah. And it'll be a great event. I like that. I like that. So, so my, my, you know, got this white hoodie. And and I can kind of tell from your reaction, but is that is that a thing? Like white hoodie? Like I feel I, I'm I'm wearing it, and I feel like uh, I feel like I might be like heavy D or something. I mean, well, you I, and I mean that in a good Asian, way. I mean, right? I, I feel like I'm cool, like cool and crisp, fresh and clean. Kind I know, of. but you this you got this in Singapore, right? Uh, it was in Seoul, but close Seoul. enough. Okay, so I mean, I think we do have to maybe adjust for fashion norms. Like mm-hmm. I would think North America and Europe. I don't think I've seen ever seen a white hoodie give it out. I mean, I know it has happened, but it's very infrequent. But uh, maybe, you know, there is like some regional fashion differences where it may, it maybe it just makes sense over there. It's a lot more, you know, it's more what people wear. But I, I don't, I can't think, even think of someone I've seen wearing a white hoodie. See, that's, uh, that's why it's going to be valuable. I'm just going to, I'm going to freak them. They're going to be like, whoa, what's going on here? And check out this style. I was Are take- you going with the hood up? I don't know. Oof. That would be kind of, that's, you're gonna have to learn how to code more you're gonna have to brush up on your coding if you go hood up i'm gonna hack people, a blockchain people are going to come into you and ask you some serious spring questions yeah. they're gonna be like hey what about this jdk thing what yeah. do i need to know i'm gonna be like have you heard about erasure in java because i'm about to erase her out of here <laughs> and i love it <laughs> but here, here's here's just to close it out here's the style i was i was testing out this morning I was going a little, a little, uh, you know, my only reference for New England style is basically, uh, Kevin Smith movies and, uh, and other stuff like that, right? And, Which is not good. That's not a good <laughs> reference point, but continue. But, you know, I, so I, I had, I had my, my Patagonia puffy jacket, you know, or as Josh Long at Pivotal likes to call it, my trash bag jacket, which I'm always, as, as I told him when he said that, I was like, you know, thanks. I just spent like $200 on this jacket. 
you really made me feel good about that. Uh, but you know, I was wearing my trash can, trash bag jacket, and uh, and then you have the white hoodie underneath that, and you pull it's black, you know, the the uh, the trash bag jacket, and you pull the hood out over it, and then you've got like this, you got this white thing on the back. Now here's the kicker, and this is what I think is it brings it from you know sort of it's just in the hip hop style, you know, which often has it's very practical oddly enough kind of keeping you warm style but it's kind of exaggerated in size and sort of just uh amplitude so to speak but so so you got not only do you have white on black but the the trash bag jacket already has a hood on it right so you got the the two hoods going you you kind of you're somewhere between like you're somewhere between like you know uh, a sort of like method man look and steve bannon you're kind I was of. Gonna say, I had to say the method or the the bandit reference was immediately comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're wearing you're wearing multiple shirts. Okay, all right. Yeah, you just just throw some uh, you know polo to the floor type of situation in there, and then man, you're all over the place. You're just you're confusing people, Give it, giving them mental seizures as they try to figure out what's going on with you. So I'm gonna try it out. My only concern, and it's it's a. Uh, I'm going to need some spot cleaning is, you know, I drink a lot of coffee. So white, hard to keep white clean. I've already got some little coffee drops on it, but maybe that's not. Such All right. A big deal. Well, you know what? I, I should say like when you, uh, when you get a good photo of it, we're, we're going to put it up on um, mm. the software defined talk Instagram that doesn't exist yet, but yeah. we'll get that done. Oh man, we're going to, we're going to create for next that episode. Yeah. We, we're going to do a little, we're going to sell uh bespoke things. Oh, have you logged into Instagram recently? That place I was tweeting about this. That place is turning into like Sky Mall for hipsters. It's just like it's absurd, and maybe it's just tailored to my uh, my me the algorithm, the feed. The but feed I feel like, you weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there there must be like I don't know the terms for this anymore, but there must be some sort of like designed in China dropship sort of like, you know, com- virtual companies, some sort of like Tim Ferriss, you know, four hour work week situation. And they're just like making shoes and other absurd stuff. And just like, I don't know, send it over. And I get all these ads for like accounting software. And uh, I don't know, it's so weird. What's in- I-, I had one the other day, this is what I posted where it was, it was, uh, it was kind of like you remember. I think his name is is Lobot, like uh, Lando Calrissian's like uh, consigliere guy. You know, who's got that that uh, that thing on his head. But it's kind of like if you had if you had a Lobot, except it goes all in front of your eyes, and it was like this laser hair stimulation thing. I mean, like what the fuck in Instagram? Mm. Mm. But you know they got to they got to make must money have been over there. Doing some weird Google searches. There must be. There's got to be some explanation to that one. I don't know. I don't know. It's really weird. The ads they have are crazy. But you know, speaking of fashion, if if our listeners wanted to get themselves a fashionable, comfortable shirt to wear, like what what might they look into? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I just want to let you know this week, uh, Cote, that this episode is sponsored by Datadog, and this week Datadog wants you to know about Watchdog. Watchdog automatically detects performance problems in your applications without any manual setup or configuration. By continuously examining application performance data, it identifies anomalies like a sudden spike in hit rate that could otherwise have remained invisible. Once an anomaly is detected, Watchdog provides you with all the relevant information you need to get to the root cause faster, such as stack traces, error messages, and related issues from the same time frame so that's fantastic we all have been there you have some kind of problem 
just want one place to go see all the data you need to figure out what's going on. And as Cote was saying, if you can sign up for a free child by going to www.datadog.com slash software defined talk and you sign up, they will uh, send you a nice, very soft, very lovely purple, but not too purple t-shirt that uh, we all enjoy wearing. So of course, go visit Datadog at datadog.com slash software defined talk. And of course, tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. And mm. we really appreciate their sponsorship. Yeah, and if you're at like a DevOps days or some other conference where they have a table, you can go up there, tell them the same thing, ask for a shirt. Like, I listen to <laughs> Software right. Defined Talk. Can I get a shirt? <laughs> that would be perfect. That yeah. would be fantastic. And I'm sure they'll be at uh, AWS reInvent in a couple weeks. So oh. that'll be, add that to your list. Is, of, that, is, uh, that, a, is that next week? See. Not next week. Next week is, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. And is that the next week? week? After now. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cause Thanksgiving, yeah. there's, it's not actually the last week in the month. There's another That's week. That's right. The third that. Thursday, as the kids say. <sighs> third Thursday. Third Thursday. So, yeah. but don't worry. We'll have, uh, next week, we're going to have a, a great AWS preview show. We haven't planned it yet, but I know it's going to be great. Yeah. So listen next week, too. Well, you know, uh, I was reading, uh, let's see, wh- where was it? There was some, I don't know if I, if I put this up there, but there was, oh, there was some 451 coverage of, uh, of Oracle Cloud stuff, which was actually quite thorough, uh, as I recall, kind of going over things. And it was, uh, maybe it wasn't in 451, whatever. It was laundry listing a bunch of the technical details. I've noticed with Oracle, they're always very technical, talking about the speeds and feeds, which, which is fine. Someone's got to not just talk about, you know, business value. Uh, but so, but it was saying that they, uh, they were holding back, uh, some of their announcements for like, uh, I, I don't know if it was a, it would definitely wasn't AWS, but for a, another conference for like the cloud native conference somewhere. And I was mm-hmm. thinking it's very yeah. rare that a vendor is like, Oh, we have announcements, but at this conference, we're going to, uh, mention them. It's very, very specific. Uh, hmm. And also, they're they're switching from Intel to AMD chips, will, which will allow them to bring them the price to like three cents for something, which which uh, I think is, is thrilling. But also in the cloud area, I spent a lot of time reading about this because it kind of reminded me of some efforts that we had back uh, when I was doing cloud strategy at Dell. But now, Cisco has introduced the first hybrid Kubernetes platform support for Amazon EKS, which I think I think starts off as a very global statement and they very quickly narrows down, uh, to, to something, which, which is fine. It's fine. So, so I think, I think basically what they're saying is if you use their, uh, I don't know all the names for things. If you use the Cisco container platform, uh, which is maybe one of the most directly named products that Cisco has had. Usually they have, well, their names are pretty good. It always has like a number in it as well. I guess this one doesn't. Uh, but if you use that on premises, it looks like what you can do is hook up a VPN and then also uh, make sure that your Active Directory is hooked up or whatever, you know, ITSM stuff. Is it not ITSM, IAM. What's the other identity manage? IMS? That's right. Identity and access management. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. There's another yeah. one that IDM they would also use, mm-hmm. right, with the lower Yeah, that's key. like identity management, which is it's a whole, yeah. We could be okay. an hour here. Okay. But yeah, hook up the identities correctly. That that all became really popular with Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, as I recall. But anyhow. Uh, so I've heard. <laughs> anyhow, uh, it looks like, you know, you can sync up the uh, your your identity stores so you can see who's authorized to do stuff. And then you can, as they say, as, as you do, you can seamlessly create containers and pods and stuff on, on other ends hooked up to Amazon EKS, which would, you know, 
sounds sounds like a party. Like mm-hmm. that seems like something uh, people would like. So you know, it is impossible for me to evaluate if all this stuff actually works and is effective. And I don't think any any customers were mentioned. But let's just let's just assume it works, right? Like it seems like uh, it would it be a, a man that would be a, a nice answer to have, which is basically someone asks you if you have Kubernetes, and your answer is yes, and then mm-hmm. and then that's it. So, but I think this, the, it's interesting when you dig into this one. So it, the problem it's solving, and I think we always debate like it's a real problem, is, is the customer wants, you know, shall we say optionality, right? They want to mm. quickly move between their on-premise Kubernetes installation, in this case Cisco, and then they want to quickly flip over to Amazon. So that's sort of like, you have to start there and say like, okay, do people really have this problem? Do they want it? And I think, I mean, people definitely talk about it. I don't know. That's a good question whether or not it, it really happens because if you do all the work to like get it to work on on-premise or you get it to work on Amazon, it's like, I don't know, like, do you really want to do this additional work? So that's one question I have. And the other question I have, and I think this is like a broader topic that I've been thinking a lot about this week is, you know, it's the old layer of abstraction argument. So this assumes, and this is just a Kubernetes statement at all in general, is that outside of this platform, your developer and ops people are building their apps and then building them into containers, and then they want to take those containers and deploy them separately into this infrastructure, right? Mm. So, which, okay, that's fair. I mean, that is one possible way of doing it. But the thing I've been thinking a lot about is, as I was reading uh, through a bunch of the books Matt Ray recommended in the uh, Humble Bubble from last week, like, you know, there's there's obviously these competing ideas. It's like, hey, you know, you shouldn't really have to containerize all of this, right? Like, so opens... Uh, not OpenStack, um, you know, the Red Hat stuff or the Piv- more more uh, recently, you know, your stuff, right? Pivotal, it's like, hey, don't worry about that. Just give us the code, right? And we'll take it from there. And I think that's the question that sort of like this begs. It's like, like, is that what people want? Do people want just like, I'll do all this container stuff outside and then deploy it? Or do they really want more of the like, hey, I'll, I want to like OpenShift or a, a Pivotal Cloud Foundry that's going to kind of like abstract me away from this, right? Because that's the other mm-hmm. um Part of this is like if you answer yes to kind of either one of those questions and you don't really need this, right? You know, you don't need it if if you don't really need that optionality. And then two, if your developers don't really want to figure out their own container management strategy, then, you know, this isn't going to solve that either. So I don't I don't know. I mean, it's mm. an interesting solution, but like it leaves you me with a lot of questions. Man, that's that's a whole uh, to mix metaphors, a, a, a can of worms you stepped into there. Mm-hmm. That's there's there's a lot going on. Well, for, you know, just to add one additional layer, I think you know I don't know if this works for that, but in theory, another thing that you could do is you could uh, uh, use services from one of your other hybridized cloud things uh, in the other. So, for example, you could be running uh, I don't know, run something on your on-premise Cisco container cloud, and then use some sort of service that was in the Amazon cloud to do something. I don't know. I guess you could do that. I mean, it basically, it looks like what it does is it has two. I, I always forget all the Kubernetes terms. There's too many of them. But like, uh, you know, you, you got your various clusters of Kubernetes on the other side, and you can you're kind of like unifying them, kind of, sort of, and you could replicate things. And again, I don't know all the Kubernetes terms as, as far as well, I, I think know. Maybe it's, go it's, it's go wh- the other way, right? And just yeah. say like it solves the hosted Kubernetes problem. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And so you, if you decided that, like, yeah, we. Um, cause I think, you know, this is the old Docker thing, right? The whole idea of like, Hey, we just want to take everything that we have in a VM today, like everything we mm-hmm. want to put in a container and we just got to run them. Right. So you could see an argument where they just do that. It's like, yeah, we're going to go through this whole transformation project of just take what we have, 
move it from VMs to containers, and then we're just need a place to run all these containers, kind of like VMware, right? Mm -hmm. But we're going to put it in this Cisco thing. And then, and then, okay, then boom, you're done, right? So I think that part you could make an argument. There's a, uh, that's one way to use this, right? But I think it gets into the thing that's more interesting, I think, is this whole idea of like, well, you're building something. Like, yes. Yeah. And uh, what's the layer of abstraction, like, you want your develop what what's the layer of abstraction developers want to work with and then what's the layer of abstraction you as a company like want to figure out yeah, because, yeah. And, and and then back um, back to your point thing. i mean that is that is the weird thing right i mean it's it's more than uh i i forget the number but what, what was their ceo saying at docker like you're going to reduce your vmware cost by 70 oh, percent or something a lot. yeah yeah which that's that's <laughs> yeah. great that's good uh you know reduce costs love that that is actually a new thing. Uh, you know, I have this talk about culture and, and, and leadership in my usual, uh, uh, galaxy of, of stuff. And one of, one of the slides is like, uh, you've got these executives who don't want to change. So instead of talking about growth and positive things, talk about saving costs, which, which, yeah, not, I guess you don't save costs, you reduce cost. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's something. Who knows? It's, it's interesting. And then I'll get back to the, uh, you know, how do you want to do things like one of the one of the things i've noticed over here in europe is there is a lot more complaining uh about like uh, people don't want to do things <laughs> right like like and and it's 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 always surprising how high up the chain it goes right like i've heard multiple people say like i am at the let's say this person is at the let's call it the senior executive director level which is the level right before you know the various rungs of vice president you know and you'll have a vice president and a senior vice president and an executive vice president and you might have a corporate vice president corporate executive senior vice president like i find it confounding that you know vice president means the one if the president goes out takes it over and then you have like 500 vice presidents hopefully there's someone's figured out the order of secession there such that it makes sense but getting back to the topic in the topic, uh, oftentimes these, uh, you know, senior executive directors are talking about their bosses, uh, and they don't want to change. Like they're in this comfortable stasis of, uh, not caring about doing anything, which is, which is kind of a curious state. Usually it's the opposite problem over in, uh, uh, you know, North America in, in U.S. Canada, uh, where it's just like the managers, the people above them really, really want to change. And the further you go down the stack, it's difficult to change things around. Uh, so that's, that's an issue. Anyways. Yeah. It is this ongoing debate of like, what, what do you want? How do you want your developers to package things <laughs> and, and, and run them? And as, as the kids would say nowadays, make them observable. And, uh, and then also like the other question is like, how, uh, how do you want the various components in your software to talk to each other? And it's in that discussion, you're like never supposed to say SOA. It's just like, don't, don't mention don't SOA. Do don't mention the war. Uh, and, and you're, you're not supposed to use ESVs either. So just don't, <laughs> don't do the ESB or the SOA. So what do you, say? you just say microservices, microservices. And now, Istio, and then just move on. Now, what, nowadays, what? nowadays, I think the conversation is moving towards microservices as, as expressed through eventing and doing event oh, stuff. So I that's, gotcha. that's the Got way it. the things, but this is not a ESB. 
not an ESP, right? <laughs> got it. Got it. That, no, got it. No. We'll not say that. No, no, don't say that. Anyways, I mean, I kid. But it is, it is, uh, you know, all the stuff as far as I can tell is, is a huge improvement on uh, past ways of, of solving this problem. So you've got those things to define. How do all our components talk to each other? How do we have like services or whatever the kids call it nowadays? How do we package up and, uh, and deploy everything and kind of describe what the layout of the application looks like? And then once we're actually running it in production, how do we, you know, not only make it observable, but make it so that we can like, you know, restart dead processes and all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's starting with back to the Cisco thing. I think it's, it's a interesting to do kind of like a, I wouldn't call it a close read, but maybe just read it. Uh, and, and you'll see that developers are mentioned over and over again. And if you read across the various articles, that's kind of like the persona that is being pitched to, right? Like, like one of it is, uh, now developers can use existing investments to build new cloud scale applications that fuel business innovation. Now, first of all, that uh, that's not the best slide of the year, the IBM Red Hat slide uh, describing what's going on. But that is a, that is a pretty representative sentence. A lot of work, I think, went into that. So one, <laughs> let's let's look at this closely. Boom, developers. So we got that going right. Like he's like, I got me these developers software. They got a problem. They got the shadow IT. They always want to use this, so we got developers taken care of. And then here we go. This is this is where you know that someone really, uh, you know, is ordering the Chinese food late at night, kind of firing up the the the, the you know change revision tracking in their your your Google Docs or whatever. Use existing investments. Now, what's going on there? Existing investments. That means I've already spent a lot of money, and I would not like to spend more money, right? It's sort of like the your sunk costs. Never mind fallacies there, but existing investments are good. I'm not going to have to rebuild things. Take that risk. I can use what I have. I'm already giving Cisco a shit ton of money just to like move packets around. Don't want to spend more money. And then on the other hand, you're going to use existing investments. So you're not going to change very much. You're going to build new cloud scale applications. Now this is curious. Cloud scale scale part is not something you usually encounter in discussions nowadays. I guess it kind of would come from a, uh, a Cisco kind of like mindset, but this notion of usually it would be like, you know, cloud native or just cloud applications. You might throw a DevOps in there, but it's interesting that they keyed off of scale, right? So they're thinking about large applications, which that can come back to bite you in the, uh, to mix metaphors again, bite you in the foot. I don't know where you get bitten. Uh, I suppose it's usually your posterior, but, you know, because then the way you could counter sale against this is is you could say like, well, I don't know. I only need like 10,000 concurrent users, not like 5 billion, like, you know, cloud people do or whatever. And then, and then, and then boom, finally, the, do you call it a coup de gras or a fagois <laughs> or something? At the end, it's just like, here you go. You're on, you're on tinter hooks. You're reading along. Not going to have to spend a lot of money targeting those goddamn developers and their cloud scale applications. I'm going to fuel some business innovation up in here. Fuck face. <laughs> it just like, boom, nail it. And, right uh, that's man, business innovation. See, cause it can, cause what you want outcomes, we started outcomes. with developers. Yeah. I mean, look at the arc of this. We yep. started with developers at the bottom, right? Yep. Boom. We move into infrastructure, the stuff they're running on. All of a sudden, we're having lots of success, cloud scale, and remind you that this is applications. And then all the way to outcomes, the whole point of this, business innovation. Do you know, 
how much the business world has been changing recently and you really have to innovate. I mean, you might have to replicate and clone an Airbnb business just to stay alive. And uh, I think that's a lot of what's going on there, which brings us all the way back. So should I have a lot of control that developers use of how we containerize these things and run them? Or should I more be delegating to other systems? And, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm, I'm in the delegate to other systems uh, mindset. But, man, people love doing their own stuff. They're yeah. really into it. Well, I think this is where it comes back to, like, what is this solution potentially really good for? The thing that I do like it is that the fact that they are really making the containers and kind of like the, if you will, the interchange here is very well defined because like, I think the whole idea of like, you know, infrastructure on demand, like you'd have this portal and you'd like provision some EC2 servers and then go mm -hmm. to Google. It's like that. I don't know. That just never felt like it was real. Whereas this is like, okay, if I put everything in a container and I'm used to using Kubernetes and I'm going to have this managed version of Kubernetes and I'm going to connect up to, in this case, AWS's Kubernetes. It does seem like, yes, you could very easily move uh, workloads back and forth that could provide real value. I think anyone that's just going to has like a thousand VMs, they want to like move them over to containers. I could see where this would really help. So this mm -hmm. solution mm -hmm. seems real targeted there. So I get it. So if you're starting your quote digital transformation product project with just old school VM conversion, this is probably a good place to at least look around and know what's going on. Now the developer side, I agree. That's the part where I just kind of get lost. I'm like, you know, because you know, I, it does kind of come back to like the three fronts that are fighting in this war is like, hey, do all this container work yourself Two, use a, a platform like Cloud Foundry or, or others or three. You know, we haven't talked about it as much, but, you know, we've got the, the old serverless functions guys sitting mm. out there who are like they're even like, whoa, don't even worry about that. You know, I'll even get you. I'll take care of everything. Right. And it's like it's, and that's kind of the ongoing like the quote, this innovation part of it i think is what fueling fueling innovation fueling, fueling innovation i think that's what people are confused about is like well exactly how do you want to fuel it which of the three ways do you want your developers working because it will be it will be different and there will be trade-offs and that's uh and so in this case i think they're really saying the other two approaches aren't really accounted for here right mm. they 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 want you to do they want you to figure out your own packaging and they don't really want you doing serverless because that's not what they're offering here yeah yeah you know maybe they'll, they'll have some announcements around that. i mean i well, well one if I can do some real time editing, I think I think I chose the wrong phrase and choosing uh, like fuck face more of what you want is like fucker in the way of like, hey, you know, like in, in a, a good way. Maybe you don't even use such a curse word, but, you know, you do sort of need now to another minor quibble. If you look at this sentence, I am not I'm sure this is grammatically correct. I am not a fan of the comma after a, an address like now, like it's now comma. And I feel like. I mean, the way the way that people would say that is there's not this so, sort of like implied plot pause of splitting things up. It's just like you're just like now this you just sort of like, boom, going into it. So whether that's correct or not, I think I think you don't need commas and that kind of thing. Now, second uh, and, 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 you know, I know I'm keying in on this developer thing, but it is it is kind of a curious thing like there's. There's not really that many mentions of like now operators can build platforms that developers can use, right? right. Now that said, there is, uh, and it's kind of glossed over a little bit, but they do mention how App Dynamics is is built into it, and they have some I don't know what they call them managing packs that allow you to uh, monitor and do things. So I don't know. I mean, again, I have no idea about it. I'm more just speaking to this from a. Uh, um, I'm sure there's some word that I learned when I was pursuing my English degree. But, you know, I'm just using this as a springboard to talk about this area as, as we mm -hmm. both are. And, I, and I it do is, think your, 
it it is like developers. It, Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it. It is like you know, I can imagine being in a in a sales situation. As I was kind of joking up at the beginning, it's 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 kind of a simple explanation of uh, of what's going on. And then obviously, you know, their partner or alliances or channel or whatever they call that. Clearly, they they should be working with uh, Google and uh, you know your Microsofts, maybe even an Alibaba. Just to throw that in there, and uh, they would extend this out to other people, and then uh, and then you would have some cloud thing. Now, now, just as another like sort of little footnote, uh, you know, over the years, Cisco has had many cloud things that seem to like n- not go anywhere. Like you remember uh, interconnect or intercloud or something. And so, you know, that's I think I think that's the perception challenge they have is like nailing your uh, your Morian initial reference customers to prove out that it's actually a thing and that people are buying it and then kind of rolling that into something else, which which is quite the challenge. But, you know, it does work with your uh, existing infrastructure. So or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, existing investments. Uh, so maybe it is something you can you can spring off there. But the whole notion and this is a little bit of it reminds me of uh my my cloud strategy days at Dell, where we were still, and by we, I mean the industry, we were still fascinated with this hybrid bursting or whatever, this notion that you could have uh, elastic capacity uh, that could uh, uh, help out your existing investments, essentially. Um, and I remember one time I was talking with someone and they were saying like, well, you know, VMware has this thing that's kind of like a secure, I forget what it was called, that basically just connects together two of your VMware instances, like, you know, over the network. And I, I think that's all people want. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that you can treat these separate, like, data centers, basically, as all just one, uh, you know, virtualization cluster, which which uh, which is fine. But yeah, I mean, I think I think what needs to be proven out over the, the next uh, couple of years is, is it... Is it better to basically, I mean, I guess, I guess like developers using Kubernetes is basically like replicating the IaaS experience to some point, right? Like where, you know, we've had about just over 11, we've had 11 years of Amazon just being like, uh, you know, they have like more refined stuff and Beanstalk and, and their serverless things. But it's basically just like now you don't need to fill out a ticket to get infrastructure, uh, and also now you can do your best stuff and worst stuff with just raw infrastructure that you get on your own. And I mean, if you don't really have like a lot of stuff built into your platform, opinions as we would say, then yeah, the, the developers get to come up with all of this stuff. And then, and then if you add another layer of like you have some enterprise architecture where you do have some standardization and, uh, sort of enforced ways of doing things like maybe you introduced uh like you know istio and you lock down what the the uh the the life cycle for apis is and the data uh you know the data exchange format but it's not ws star no xml involved don't worry and and you kind of like are specifying all this then it's like you sort of built your own platform on top of kubernetes and then the developers like no longer have all this freedom to define things. And then I guess ultimately it boils down to like developers want to put their stuff in containers and, and run it that way. But anyways, rounding up my rambling here, uh, uh, I think what you end up and, and, and it's weird that Cisco didn't do this from the front, but in my experience and observing other people, what you're really pitching here is you're not pitching to developers. You're pitching to operations people who like need to build this platform. 
because uh, your developers, like, they just want to use it, but they don't necessarily want to, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they do want to build it up, but they're not really going to, like, buy something from Cisco for it, right? Like, the operations side of the shop is going to do that more. And I don't know. It's it, it gets confusing when you're pitching, like, a big platform like this to developers. Well, I do think that's the part that maybe this messaging kind of missed is that, you know, most of the time when you delve into, like, the rationale for Kubernetes is mostly that it's solving the operator's problems, right? Like, I got all these containers. I got to figure out how to run them and make sure they're up. And that's really what they could have added here is to say, like, hey, we're going to simplify really more operations messaging, less developer messaging, right? Because it's really like, hey, if you're all your developers are doing containers, which is sort of you have to take that on faith or they've agreed to do it or want to do it, that your your platform of operations can be a lot easier now. And instead of using VMware, most likely, you would be mm. using this managed Kubernetes, which is really the problem that's being solved here. But yeah, the developer himself, like in fact, I think most developers, you know, it's quite the opposite, right? Is they don't want to really roll up. Like they're gonna, like I, I just feel like the life cycle is always something like, I'm gonna sit on my machine, build up my application, and then kind of when I get towards the end, I'll be like, okay, what do, how do I build a container? You know, it's like, then you would go figure that yeah. part out. And it's not... You know, unless your tool chain is just already set up and you've trained everybody on that, um, it's not the way I think most developers are going to want to, you know, it's not the first way they're going to approach a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, also in the simplistic area, and and in a good way, not simplistic as in simpleton, but clarifying simplicity, they uh, they actually tell you pricing sort of in in the press release, which is astounding that you would get pricing. It says, uh, uh, let's see. Software only subscriptions. I guess that means you're not buying the hardware, which is a whole other thing. But pricing for software only subscriptions will start at approximately $65,000 per year for a typical entry level configuration. Now, that would be a great band name, typical entry level configuration. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of long. I guess you would be called TELC, TELC, uh, is what your fans would call you uh, over time. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cheap. Uh, for for a setup like that for a whole year. Now I don't know. I'm I'm guessing a typical entry level configuration is maybe what do they call them in Kubernetes? A cluster, maybe like a cluster or two that gets spread across. Maybe it's actually a cluster in each, uh, and that's the thing that you're managing with some minimal amount of of ID stuff. But it, I mean, that's the other side that gets interesting is when you look at like pricing and operational cost uh, for running all this stuff. And you know, of course, the Docker people will be seventy percent less than VMware. Uh, hopefully guaranteed. We uh, should, but to your point, we should give Cisco credit. I mean, like, there's obviously it's hard to understand exactly what the price means, but the fact that they actually they gave yeah, you yeah, some you ballpark, right? You you know right away, like, okay, like if if I'm a startup and I was going to pay a hundred dollars, probably not right. If I'm a, a large enterprise, I'm like, okay, it's in the budget range that I'm familiar with. So kudos to them for putting that in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, it's a, a straightforward little thing they're doing here, right? Like, just like. You want to have your hybrid cloud connect to the Amazon? You want to run your Kubernetes here, Kubernetes there? Boom. So that's 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 fun. Very clear. We'll see, we'll see where that goes. Now, now on a, the a totally other end of the spectrum, uh, which had, really has nothing to do with the topic that we had. The, tell me, tell me if you read this. But SAP bought this company, Qualtrics, and and I read several articles just to figure out what Qualtrics did because of course it starts off with the uh, the uh, man I was reading some other coverage and I'm not going to mention it but just coverage of some other whole other thing and wow the reportage on it was just sort of like if you took a transcript of a keynote someone gave and kind of like put some quotes and they said and things like that in it it was it was a real doozy 
of a write-up. But anyways, some of the write-ups of this are just sort of like didn't really say what Qualtrics did. But then as far as someone finally mentioned that their uh, SurveyMonkey is a competitor. So I think they're like a survey company. Just send your surveys out to your social medias like the Software Defined Talk Instagram account or uh, you send it to your internal employees or things like that. But man, that is that must be some powerful survey stuff, and uh, it's it's interesting to keep your eyes on on what SAP is up to because it's they're always it looks like they're just kind of like expanding what a business would want to do, going down the old uh, what did we used to call it digital engagement? What was the, the yeah, uh, system of engagement? There you go. Yes, yes, that's our second well, Jeffrey Moore reference of the episode. But, but I uh, think we should be careful here. Don't don't be. Um, we should never be distracted by the front end because, you know, what's really valuable here is mm. not the fact that they take surveys. The fact is they aggregate lots of this data, right? And that's, so it's like, it's kind of like all social media platforms. Oh, it's just like, they just post pictures. You just post messages. Well, no, what they're actually doing are aggregating all this data in the background, which becomes incredibly valuable for lots of reasons. Big, yeah, a lot of that. Data. So that's, you know, behind the scenes here is I think maybe, it is easy to think like, oh, wow, they just do lots of different surveys. Like how, how interesting is that? But, but for companies that are doing lots of surveys, pulling in lots of different data and segmenting things for all kinds of reasons, right? Like types of customers, different messages, different needs, cohorts. Yeah, you're, um, you're, you're, you're that, right. You're that's right. pretty valuable, right? And that's why I think, um, cause it's like, it's, it's pretty big price. This was like eight, was like 8 billion. I think yeah. something like that. You know, it, it allows you to gather insights about how your markets and customers are operating. So you can, you can pursue uh, business value. But I do think this is one of those things where, um, it does remind, I mean, in this case, SAP, right. Being obviously a very enterprise company, it's like to really get the most out of these solutions. It's like, this is a, it's a kind of like an ERP system. Like you, you got to really spend some time, like, getting this thing into your environment, really tuning like exactly what data you're collecting and then figuring out how you want to use that data. Cause it, uh, I, I feel like so much of these solutions, like it's very easy to just, uh, you know, be the other way. It's like you have all this data being collected and you have no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Right. There's just no way in the company, anyone like really doing something skilled with it. So it'd be interesting to like understand more about like when they get this these solutions installed, like which set of customers are like really using the data for something valuable and which people are just kind of making themselves more confused with so mm. much data. This is sort of like the CRM problem, right? Like, I mean, yeah. part, part one of the CRM problem is Salesforce people are like, what the fuck? Me typing <laughs> something into this is not me selling, so fuck that shit, right? Like it's impossible to get enough of the salespeople to consistently and reliably enter their stuff in there. And then also, you know, their managers are like, mm, I don't really want to use my comp budget for them typing stuff. So like, you know, anyways, that's a whole other hole. But then the other area is what you're talking about is like, I guess, I guess somewhat contrary, seemingly contrary to what I was saying, like, unless you have those dashboards, like you log into that into Salesforce and you're like, what do I do with this? Like, what, yeah. what, do, what do I do with all this data? So, yeah, I mean, if you were able to craft out like some sort of indicative, uh, you should do this thing next, then that would be nice. You know, also, it's like uh, I have this ongoing theory that, for example, I mean, to you and me, $8 billion is a lot. But maybe that's not a lot of money nowadays because people are just like they're just throwing billions of dollars around for everything. And, uh, you know, I think I read that that Qualtrics has maybe like $2 million in profit. So, you know, whatever, go for it. Mm. Just billion dollars, not a problem. Get but some of that spare kind of handle product. budget. 
you know, it, it, it is the kind of product that I think enterprise software companies love because it's, I mean, you can't almost not say no to it when you're out pitching. It's like, Hey, don't you want to know more about what your customers are doing and your employees? And like, we can mm. build this big data store. It's, I mean, it like, you're almost crazy to be like, well, like the, I think a, a potentially overly honest answer, which gets you fired at companies to say like, you know, we have so many other problems right now. Like the last thing we need is like reams of data, uh, that we're not really, that would just confuse us more. Like no one really says that in a meeting, even though I think that's often true. Um, mm. everyone's just like, yeah, we should do it. We should do a pilot project. We should get this going. They put it on their slides. They go to the QPR. They talk about all this data analysis they're going to do. So, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing I think, you know, maybe it's like exercising or working out. Like everyone feels like they should be doing it, right? Even if it's not maybe the most important thing they should be doing right now. So I could see why this is very attractive to SAP and I could see why I have no doubt SAP reps will do a really good job selling this product. Mm. Yeah, that's the old, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta work to live, not live to work situation there. <laughs> gotta yeah. exercise. Well, that was, that was our annual check in in the ERP space. See what's going on over there. <laughs> See you next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, you know, I, 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 until I was reading up on stuff yesterday, I didn't realize that I had like missed a lot of the news from the OpenStack summit, which I think, uh, is it this week? It w- was going on, and uh, it, lo- it looks like I think I think uh, last year they kind of started this thing where they're like we're going to do more than just uh, OpenStack the cloud thing, and they had a build pipeline thing, and it looks like they're I think they've even uh, they're renaming their conference. Uh, to I forget what the name is, but uh, basically they're you know the foundation there is looking to expand out into more parts of the uh, the infrastructure world, which is which is fine, right? Like I mean we're a little like foundation heavy at the moment. I think we probably have. Uh, the maximum number of foundations we can have in the infrastructure space uh, at the moment. You got the the, the CNCF, you got the, uh, you, then there's another container one, and then you still have the OpenStack Foundation, and there's probably other ones that I'm I'm not remembering. And then, of course, there's the Cloud Foundry Foundation, and uh, and then you have Red Hat IBM, which I guess is a foundation of its own, of, uh, of Kubernetes containerization uh, hoopla. So we, we got lots of little bodies running around. That would be a fun little spider chart to have is like what all the uh, the open source uh, sort of like people playing around in the container thing is, uh, has. I mean, not the, you know, you used to um, on a weekly basis show us the updated cloud native VC, you know, spreadsheet thing, which is nice. But it'd be fun to see sort of like the uh, the open source communities circling around. But anyhow, uh, I don't know. So there were a couple of announcements there about, you know, Red Hat's new OpenStack version looks nice. And then apparently, uh, you know, there's always people who don't like change. And, you know, so there, you had Shuttleworth there of, of our, our favorite company, our favorite Linux distribution company, Canonical. And it looks like he was, he was going on the, we should just focus on the problems we have and, uh, not, not, you know, and successes and not worry about things that are expanding. But my, for the whole thing, what I really liked, have you seen the beard that Shuttleworth has? It's, it's pretty good looking. Not. Yeah. And I think I, I, uh, I like the style where, it, you know, I'm sure there's some snappy thing, but you know, you're like clean and tidy on pot on top. And then you kind of like go in, you slight hobo, hobo on bottom. I'm, I'm into that. That's, that's a, that's a good look. Like I was on the plane and I was watching, uh, some, some Denzel Washington, or yeah some movie and uh like there was uh, he was like some secret service agent and he drives like a lift car it's very confusing what was happening because i wasn't listening to the audio yes and Uh then and then one of the the assassin types is one of these guys with the scraggly beard it's just like totally totally in culture 
even the bad people have big scraggly beards. And I think maybe he gets his throat slit or something. It's very, very oddly violent movie uh, for a Lyft driver to be involved in. Also strange that it had such lift placement i wonder if they yeah, paid so for i that. think just just for those who are dying to watch this i think you're uh, referring to either the equalizer or the equalizer two i don't know probably probably you're probably watching the second one oh. but uh, i think this is where he's like a former uh, special ops guy now he, he uh, just like drives a lift that's like his cover right so but that's that's like that tv show with like the the english guy who looked like michael kane was the equalizer mm. Yeah, that's a different one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this this just in uh, ideas in Hollywood get recycled. So I think this one it's like an updated version. It's newer. Yeah. It's better. It's yeah. faster. Okay. Okay. So that was the equalizer that that I was watching there. Okay. Got it. Here, look. I'm gonna send you a picture of this beard. All right. We're gonna put again. This is gonna go on the uh, software defined talk uh, Instagram channel. That Listen, will be up. and 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 soon. and you know, if if for people, you know, if you know what I look like. Uh, it's good. Uh, it's which good. I'm not belittling the actual technology. It's just like, whoa, look at that beard. Yeah, looks good. Yeah, yeah. Looks, he looks. He looks very distinguished. It looks. He actually looks like somebody that would be lecturing you. Like, why don't we just worry about the problems we have? That looks yeah. exactly like that person. That's exactly what he would say. And he's probably. I don't know. Probably part of him is right. It's like, yep, OpenStack has a lot of stuff going on. Like, maybe we just work on what you know what we got here, guys. Maybe we don't expand the backlog this year, but mm-hmm. didn't happen. So. Yeah, we'll see see what he see what he does next year. Yeah, I need to go dig up if there's a there probably is a new OpenStack survey that that used to be one of my favorite things to look through because they they always had good year over year commentary about uh, not only OpenStack uh, adoption people using it but types of workloads they were using it for and 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 what was in there. You can check in on your uh, your uh, what is it in NVP. Uh, network virtualization um, NPS in whatever, something whatever. yeah nbs your net promoter <laughs> score as determined yeah. by qualtrics uh <laughs> <laughs> but oh nvn network virtualization something and that that seemed to be a huge thing going on with him i wonder i wonder how uh how yeah that's it feels like out. that kind of went quiet like I don't, I don't know i felt that was the big news last year i haven't seen much about that oh it's probably still in there we've done a it's great huge. job keeping up with the open stack summit as always that's right but good, good beards, good times, good pointers. Hmm. Well, what else? What else have you seen going on this week before we wrap? Well, I up? mean, I think I don't know if we have anything to really say about it. But we, I mean, do we care that Amazon officially uh, decided it was going to move to Northern oh, Virginia, yeah. suburb yeah. outside of Washington D.C. and not Long Island, as I actually read it. It's actually Long Island City, which is in Queens, not in Long Island. Oh, that's uh, confusing. Which, is, which turns out to be you know, very close to like, I don't know, New York. When I think of New York, I think of Manhattan. So, so I don't, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff written about it. I, I just, I think at the end, I look back on this, I'm like, was this a great PR stunt by Amazon? Was this just sort of, did it kind of go off the rails? Mm. Does it not really matter? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. What do you think? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have no, you know, when I was reading that, that they had selected two places, everyone was upset that like, I don't know that it was a hustle or something. And, and my first thought was like, I don't know, maybe they just like genuinely were like, Oh, we should pick two. <laughs> right. Like I think, I think it's always like, it's uh it's always too easy to read some sort of nefarious conspiracy into something 
like that someone's hustling uh, to do something. Whereas like it's been my experience working in large organizations uh, that like just the organization's not competent enough to hustle. Like they can, they can kind of come up with an idea and work on it and see what evolves and uh, end up picking that. It's sort of like the old, uh, the old anti-conspiracy thing of like, uh, you know, there's not enough competency in the government to orchestrate like this big conspiracy, right? Like people can't, it's very complicated. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you'd select that, but it, it does, it does seem, um, those seem like weird choices. <laughs> like, like, and, and if you're looking to hire, I mean, it depends, right? Probably people think about you're going to hire a bunch of developers. We're really, they're going to like, I don't know what the ratio is, but I suspect developers is not most of what Amazon has by far. Like you got your product managers for all your Amazon basics, people that support them, logistics, people, marketing, pricing, someone's got to make all those videos. I mean, you got tons of, of different people. And so maybe in those two areas, you're just worried about basically a college-educated populace and it being an attractive place for people to relocate to, and then also just kind of like the tax situation not being too terrible. But with Amazon, you do this the thing of like, you know, give us a tax break or whatever, so you're probably fine there. And so, like, it seems like... I mean, Queens is New York City, right? As I understand it, one of the whatever boroughs. I don't know. I mean, it seems like yes, we can confirm. It's th- one thank of the you, boroughs. thank you. Yes, and uh, it seems like you know New York is expensive, and yeah, like it's not only expensive to be there as a company, but like to live there, and then and then you're competing with people working for Wall Street, which is probably going to pay equal, maybe not more, and so it is like. The impl- I guess my point is like you've got a real bottleneck on like could you hire ten thousand people to like work brand new in New York? I don't know. Maybe you could because there's probably a lot of package good people up there <laughs> in advertising. So I don't know. It's it's weird. And then Virginia, which is really when they say Virginia, they mean D.C. Right? This is yeah. like the D.C. Not area, just, just across the river from the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for people who don't who don't know Americans, there's 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 what we call the state of Virginia, and then there's this part of Virginia that's right next to D.C., Washington D.C., and those are two very different things when you reference Virginia, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're basically in that kind of D.C. area, which which again is like that. It kind of makes more sense because like. Well, DC is really expensive, but depending on where they are, like it's kind of like a normal place that professionals live and do things. And I don't know. There's also a conspiracy theory of like moving close to DC for stuff, but like the government doesn't give a crap about like if you're close to DC. Like none of them live in DC except the uh, administrators. So that doesn't really pan out. But it's also like, I don't know. They're both like weird choices, but. That's that's my reaction to it since you <laughs> asked. Right. I don't know. I think it just comes back to, you know, you obviously companies have to be uh, headquartered somewhere. And I don't know. I think the things the things that I think are interesting about that, the fact that they try to call them co-headquarters, which I always think is weird. Yeah, yeah. No maybe maybe are, that's maybe that's the weird part. If yeah. they were just like we're opening new offices in these locations, like whatever. Great. Yeah. Good choice. Like, but I think, and but I guess a headquarter maybe, is weird. Yeah, if you kind of go back and just roll this out backwards, like, I, I don't know. It would be interesting if they had just kind of come out and there wasn't kind of this bake-off. It just come out and said, hey, you know, today we've announced agreements to open two offices in, you know, 
Queen or uh, yeah, Queens and uh, Northern Virginia. And we're really excited. Like, I think in some ways, like it, it was, it wasn't as big, right? It just they made it seem bigger. Which I guess I don't know. Again, it's just like, what's the goal? I guess if they wanted it to be bigger, uh, then that worked. But then it did seem like they got equal amounts of. Uh, praise and blowback, right? There was a lot there. I, I yeah, just kind of yeah, read yeah. the news that way. There were some people that were really excited and then there were people that really felt like, you know, because they had drawn so much attention to it that they were like, hey, these subsidies aren't good and things like that. But then I think there's this other track that I'm always interested about. It's like, because when you work at large companies, so often people like, they'll, want it, they'll tell you something like they want flexible schedules. They want the ability to work from home a lot when they need to or a lot. And it's, it's it always comes back to like, I don't know, does it matter as much, right? Because also, too, when companies get to a certain size, um, you almost inevitably end up on teams that are just geographically distributed. Even mm. if you're, like, in an office, like, you're, it just happens, right? Because people move around and you have different interests and different projects. So, so I, I don't know, that always just begs the question then, like, like how important, you know what I mean? Like, how important is the office anyway? Yeah. Um, but it, but it definitely gets. I mean, I guess from a tax base, like you have to live somewhere and you have to pay taxes somewhere. I guess that part, I see. But I don't know. Just working at these companies in different places, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, you're just on the phone a lot, no matter what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess maybe to like layer on a positive case, right? Like both of those locations are chock full of professionals who probably would be interested in working at Amazon, and. I don't know about Virginia, but in New York, you have a lot of the skills that a retailer would want probably there. And, you know, it's also la-di-da New York. So maybe the millenniums will be interested in, in working there and things like that. And then and then I imagine Virginia is just like, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a solid place. People want to live there. Lots of professionals, whatever. <laughs> right. But, yeah. you know, that that area of uh, of the D.C. area. And it definitely like it makes more sense than other like, you know, choices that were out there. But it, it uh, uh, I don't know. It's also interesting. They're both on the uh, on the eastern seaboard there instead of spreading out. But it, it yeah, it, it the, I think you're right. It's like the whole headquarter things is confounding. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, it's it's just weird. And then, and then you're expanding beyond Seattle, right? Cause conceivably you've, so let's see if it solves this problem. You conceivably, the reason you would do this is you've tapped out Seattle as far as, uh, office space and people that you can hire. And then to a lesser degree, it might be like Seattle's an expensive place to live. And so we can, it's harder to attract more people and it drives up uh, kind of our, the minimum wage that we Amazon have to pay out. And then so like, you know, I don't think even Queens is cheap and it's like a constrained limited place like I was talking about. And I guess like the DC area, you can always like expand away from DC. Uh, so I guess you have more space there, but they're both again, like, high cost places, which if they cost the same, like why would, anyways, I guess you just get more talent. That's probably what it amounts to is you can hire uh, a whole new set of people, which is a hard problem for a big company. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, if you look at them as just a retailer, they, it's like you just go somewhere where people have college degrees. Boom, you're set. You're going to sell some shit, make Done. some videos. So like it. makes sense. Good job, Amazon. <laughs> Well played. <laughs> That's right, and and also you know maybe to you know not not to uh, not to blame the victims, but you know it could also be the case that uh, 
I don't know, that people did make a big deal about it. And maybe Amazon was like, look, man, we just wanted to pick new two lunar locations. Of course, we put out a press release. But I guess they did. Amazon did totally feed into this and accept, you know, cactuses from people. And so they <laughs> definitely uh, they definitely were part of the, the hype problem. Absolutely. Well, rounding up, uh, I, you know, lots of the conferences I mentioned that I would be at have already happened. But it, it occurred to me I have many more throughout the rest of the year. So next week. On November 20th, I'll be at a, a Dell Technologies forum up in London. I was just looking at the agenda. It's a huge event. It's like multi-track of things going on. And I'll be up there just talking about Pivotal and other stuff like that. But it's probably a good chance to check in on what's going on there. And then at the beginning of December, I'm going to be on a little miniature tour in uh, Poland. I'll be at a meetup in Warsaw on December 6th. And then on, on 8th, there's this thing in uh, Lublin, uh, Poland, called J Santa. They renamed it J Santa. I think it's usually J something else, but I'll, I'll be talking there. And then finally, the last spring tour uh, of the year is uh, in Toronto, December 12th and 13th, and I'll, I'll be there as well. There's a one in Paris on the 4th if you want to go to that. I won't be there. You should still go. Uh, but there's there's conferences going on. And if you go look at the show notes at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 155 you can see a list of all of those and many of the articles that we talked about today and ones that we didn't as well and uh, how how's how's the administrative world going have you sent out any uh, stickers recently brandon yeah we've had a, a couple important pieces of feedback from uh the listeners one uh, i think actually your friend uh, yogi right did he identify you by your tone of voice he only? did i, I he asked yeah. for because uh, i sent him 20 stickers i think that's the biggest batch i've sent out to singapore now we're big in singapore we're huge yeah hey brandon so we, hey brandon have you seen crazy rich asians <laughs> i haven't is it good i heard it's good i, I, I don't it. know but like if you're in singapore and and you're like a yankee you're gonna be asked that like once a day if not more all right, all right. So mental note, watch that on the way over. My mm -hmm. wife saw it. She said it was really funny. It yeah. looks fine. I just, I don't know. I just stay home. Someone has to watch the kid. You know? <laughs> just, that doesn't just happen. <laughs> that would, that, that uh, maybe that will be one of our, our, uh, our next unsuccessful T-shirt. Software-defined talk. I just stay home. <laughs> that's right. I just stay home. Um, and then uh, the other piece of feedback I think is equally important is uh, Ryan from Slack. He, because uh, we had this conversation about like where's the South in the United States. So he proposes that the true borders of the South. Of the United States is really where they uh, serve sweet tea, so that's putting sugar in iced tea, of course. And I agree with them, and I think uh, so. That would make it as what I would consider um, really very South Virginia. That's mm. kind of where the sweet tea starts, and it goes all the way down to like the Orlando, Naples, Florida area. Mm. Stops there, so Miami, unfortunately, is like its own country. So that's but that's one art part of it. And then there is no sweet tea in Texas, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I think sweet tea really stops kind of. Um, maybe a little bit into Louisiana, East, East Louisiana. Um, so that I believe is, is the South. So Ryan, you're right. I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, I think that's the way, that. that's the way you do it by tea. Yeah. I, I, when I was in, uh, I was down in Antwerp, uh, yesterday and, and I, we, we, I went to go eat at Burger King. I haven't eaten a Burger King in forever. Is <laughs> things were just off the hook down there for me. Uh, but I, I was, I was thinking like, I'm in a Burger King, right? American restaurant. Maybe they have iced tea. So I, I asked, like, do you have iced tea? And of course, they're a little confused at first. And then, and then we, we figured it out. But what, and they said yes. And I said, I said, unsweet iced tea? 
like without sugar? And then they were like, yeah, yeah, we have that. So I ordered that. But then it turns out they had one of those Coca-Cola, like, you know, oh, robot machines. nasty thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Disgusting. And I got something out of that. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even, it wasn't unsweet. It was sugar-free tea. So it had the, yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, the dime, you know, the, the penny flavored stuff in there, but that's fine. They're, they're trying, they're trying. Well, there is kind of an inverse that brings up a whole nother topic. Like the inverse of the South border is like, where does the true Northeast start? That's where they serve nest tea. Right? Oh, so that's like in New York when yeah. you get net, you're like, oh my gosh, like you're in the Guardia, you get a nice tea. You're like, oh, I just made a huge mistake. It's disgusting. <laughs> so that really that. So I, I would say kind of Pennsylvania is where that goes on. So that leaves in the mid Atlantic. That's the only place you can just get iced tea without anything in it. So yeah. there you go. That, yeah. Guys, that's how you when uh, and for all the kids listening for geography. Go ahead, write that as your answer to geography test, and uh, you will get 100%. Yeah. Uh, the teachers will not have – if they have any problems, you tell them to email me. And we'll just also, don't order iced tea in LaGuardia. Don't, oh, it's awful. Well, we we also we also got a uh, we got a review, an iTunes review, oh, which is great. Sweet. So hopefully you'll send a shirt to Jason Belk, and his review is short and to the point. First five stars. Good good job, us. We still have that one star review from uh, that person, well, but now we have 30, 31 ratings, and he says every episode is a great mix of relaxed and funny banter. With solid technical and business insights. Do you see that? Business insights. There we go. Wow. Like it. Yeah. I love the synergy, synergy between the hosts. Well, Keep it up. I, appre- I appreciate Jason's uh, review, and I will track him down. I'll send him a t shirt. But fear not, listener, if you write us a review, let me know, and I will send you uh, one of our great t shirts. Just send me your, your mailing address, and you can do that at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. If you don't have time to write a review, but you still want a sticker, just send me your name and address, and I'll send you one sticker or, I guess, up to 20. I can send you 20 <laughs> stickers because, uh, I, as I was telling Cote before, I, I did weigh the envelope. Not Still just the first-class stamp, so done. As many as you want. <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're like, the, uh, like that guy in, uh, in uh, I think it's the second version of the Rick and Morty intergalactic TV where he's like, ah, I got, I got these doors that go nowhere. You want to, you want this door on a purple door These doors to go nowhere. Go. Anyways, or, or no, he's like, and then there's the other one who's like, ah, I'm so crazy. I'll just, I'll just rip off my skin right now. Ah, but there you go. 20 stickers. No problem. 20 stickers. Done. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, what do you have to recommend this week? All right, I got a bunch of recommendations because lots of crazy stuff happened. One, we didn't really talk about it because I don't think we have any informed opinions, but like there's a lot of Facebook stuff happening. So, of course, you should read that New York Times article, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you should watch the front lines that were on recently. I like both of those. They really go into it. And then um, I, it's a book I really like. I don't think Kote, you liked it as much, but I really like it. It's Chaos Monkeys. It's written by a couple years ago, but it was written by a Facebook insider. More about like how they came to like um, build out the mobile ad platform in the story. I think it's. A, I found it to be a riveting read. He's a product manager. It probably just relates to me. But it, a lot of the themes that um, – show up in unpopular articles now are, are sort of kind of unearthed there. So if you're kind of interested in the palace intrigue of Facebook, that's a, like a lot of stuff you can, uh, can go check out. And then the other thing I stumbled on was, you know, I'm always, I feel like you know, we, we keep up with the tech stuff pretty well, but like internet culture is like its own thing. Like I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like as we were kind of joking about Instagram, which we will have the software defined talk Instagram account. Don't worry. But I, I'm always like, what's going on? What's really happening out there? So there are two episodes of podcasts this week that 
I thought were kind of revealing. One was Reply All, and their episode was called The Snapchat Thief. And so I did not know this. So, Kote, if you did know this, uh, let me know. But there is a underground where people actually hack into uh, Snapchat accounts, but they call them OGs. Have you ever heard of this this term? Like, you want the OG? You know what I'm talking no, about? No, right not, not in this context. Okay. Well, I didn't either. So what it is, an OG, I guess it's sort of like a throwback, like original gangsta. But anyway, the idea is that you want to get a Snapchat or Instagram handle of a very popular name like Jason or Love. So the username is very common. So what happens is if you have one of those like very common name, um, you know, if you will, user IDs, people like you're a target to be hacked. And then what people do is they then sell them in this underground OG world, right? So this episode was all about how this woman, she had a lizard was her ID and she gets, um, you know, basically gets it stolen, but then they get on the phone with the guys and they kind of walk through it. And it's just like a whole world I just knew nothing about. And then I happened to um, listen to this other podcast, which is Cyber. It's a hacking podcast by uh, Motherboard. They did an episode too about how people are starting to um, to steal more uh, swim sim swapping so you know basically getting the phone company to reassign somebody's phone number to their phone number and that lets them break in and again one of the reasons this got more popular was stealing the og account so it's just like a whole world that i knew nothing about like i didn't even know this was currency i think back cote when we were getting on twitter like all these uh, usernames were available but like no one used their real name like they like everyone just used like weird things and i was like oh man we should have registered a bunch of these names at the time but we didn't we didn't have the foresight so bad for us i guess good good for the millennials so if you like all that stuff and you want to hear more about it check this podcast out yeah man we should start some like you know general internet thing podcast one day we just have so much to talk about I think we'd have a broad audience. I mean, the only thing that would be better is if we had like a, uh, you know, Macintosh life hack, uh, like an <laughs> Apple podcast. But it's just like, like, could, we could have talked for like an hour about that Facebook article and, and people, you know, normals would be interested. Not the special audience we have. I, I think we could probably strum up some opinions on that, right? Like, you know, we're really good at starting other podcasts, but that, that would be. So didn't you read Chaos Monkeys already? I did. I like, but I just thought I'd throw it out. Oh, you just like, reference it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, like yeah. just re-upping it because uh, um, there's just because I, I don't know the New York Times article. That was know, thorough. I, I loved. It. I thought it was great. Yeah. I'm always like, man, when the New York Times shows up, you're like, whoa, like, geez, like they're like, yeah, we interviewed 50 people and we found out everything, and you read through it. But that's what I, it, it just like a lot of the themes. Not really because obviously it's different times, but if you read back in Chaos Monkeys, like how Sheryl Sandberg and yeah, how yeah. the company characterized you, like you kind of see. Um, I guess they're very consistent, and of course, like you know everything. Like I haven't seen today. I haven't been. I'm sure over the next few days we'll see like oh you know, some type of Facebook response to a lot of that stuff. But it's just, it's just, um, you know, I always, I always think I do, you know, back to, I guess our inter- general internet podcast we're going to have, I guess I would, if we had that episode, I'd say something like, you know, um, I'd probably weave some halo effect in here and just be like, you know, the problem is just like, these are just really hard problems that like, there's just so many unintended consequences to all these things. So it's like, I think the Facebook people, they definitely did some stuff. They should have, you know, they should have thought more about a lot of it, but it's like, I also sympathize with like, I just don't think anyone foresaw any of this stuff, right? And it's like, yeah. uh, it doesn't necessarily make it excuses, but like when we build the people up so quickly, right? And like everyone's a genius and it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, they may have just, you know, they may have just been in the right place, right time. And then the flip side is happening now where it's like, well, 
they probably should have taken more action. But this is a hard problem. I don't think it's like as simple as people want to make it. Um, so I don't know. I just find it fascinating. So there's lots of stuff, like lots of popular news outlets covering it. So if you like it, check all that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess, you know, I, I, I have a growing interest in, in this area, if only, if only in the uh, s- sort of like wondering what the big deal is. <laughs> <laughs> like which is is a hopelessly naive way of putting it but it's just sort of like yeah i mean that's what they do right like it's just like that's that's their whole point and uh and th- and then if they get like taken advantage of as an information source like there's just an information source people take advantage of it and plant things and i think and then you have sort of like the willful like mismanagement misman see even i don't even know the right word it's not willful mismanagement it's just like not I think I think and and this is what's I, I'm always trying to figure out what people are upset about in a constructive way. And I think maybe what they're upset about is is like people like Facebook and Twitter aren't voluntarily taking on enough responsibility for what they're doing, right? And then and because you know, like like the normal mainstream press uh is really in a good way into itself as far as being like what is it the fourth estate or whatever like you know they're they're into themselves as a uh, one of the cornerstones of democracy and society and they take on a lot of responsibility whereas like the 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 tech companies as people call them nowadays uh they don't seem to want to take on responsibility for anything beyond like cool ads on airplanes about you know bringing internet drones to africa and things like that which is great good for them uh but yeah, that is, that is like a kind of a higher level question is like, well, are they responsible? <laughs> right? Like what? I don't know. It's it's a weird to look at. And then also it's sort of like I was realizing reading that article that they're just like totally woven into uh, culture and society, at least over here where you don't use WeChat, uh, essentially. <laughs> but it is it is. Uh, I don't know. It'd be strange to think and we need one of those Alan DeBotain de or bottom guys kind of write about what the deal with all this is just a new generation of people. Well, my recommendation this week, speaking of things that have wide popularity that, you know, lots of people would like to dive into. There's a new, uh, it was written up in the New York times, I guess, but there's a new biography of Nietzsche out, uh, called I am dynamite, which if, if you're familiar with Nietzsche at all, it's sort of like that's, that's, there you go right there. Uh, a life of Nietzsche. And, and it's fun because it, you know, one, if you're interested in the, uh, the topic, it goes over, uh, it's more, it more like goes over his life as a reflection of his professional life, not sort of like too much detail of it. So it's kind of a, a working, a biography of the professional, so to speak. But it's also fun to read through and, and, uh, you're reminded, you know, back in the, uh, the mid 1800s of just how like, like over the top, like, romantic and the uppercase r version of things before they're just like so like involved in in life and existence and i picked one quote at random that's representative of this and you read quotes like this over and over again that are just like man they're so into this shit and uh so that there was there was i forget which wave of it but like paris was being attacked and burned down and he writes this letter and he says when I heard of the fires in Paris, I felt for several days annihilated and was overwhelmed by fears and doubts. The entire scholarly, scientific, philosophical, and artistic existence seemed absurdity if a single day could wipe out the most glorious works of art, even periods of art. And then that's all one sentence. Semicolon. 
I clung with earnest conviction to the metaphysical value of art, which cannot exist for the sake of poor human beings, but which has higher missions to fulfill, period. And then it goes on. But it's just like, wow, no one writes like that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) People would just be like, "Mm, Paris is burning down. Uh, Well, I can still get waffles in Belgium, right? Like, well, I gotta be honest, like, I didn't count them, but like, I feel like that's over 140 characters or even 280. <laughs> so that would not have done well in, uh, that's not snackable content, as yeah, we like to say. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and like medicine back then, even for someone as like, you know, middle class and well to do as Nietzsche, not cool, man. The doctors <laughs> back good. then, not good. Like, there's a story where he, uh, he, he was in the military for a while. Uh, the Prussian military, obviously, and and he was in the uh, the light artillery, and they were training to like jump on a horse really quick to ride away, and he had he uh, he jumped on a horse and he like he hit his chest on the um, what do you call it a pummel uh, of the saddle, and then um, that kind of had an open wound, and they were trying to treat it, and then eventually it wasn't working, and he could like see you know his rib cage underneath it or something. And then uh, they tried some other things that didn't work. And then eventually he got sent to like some spa in an obscure like Swiss town where, you know, they had like salted baths or something. And apparently that cured it. But it's just like, fuck, you know, <laughs> like this goes on for six or seven months and like the doctors don't know what they're doing. It's crazy. And and that that persists throughout his uh, his life. Doctors are just like. Like one of them prescribes like putting nightshade oil in his eyes, which, you know, I'm not a physician, but that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, it does not. So check that out. I am dynamite. A life of Nietzsche. It it also has, as you would want to have good summaries of uh, basic uh, core philosophy. You can you can read the thrilling summary of the critical reception of a birth of tragedy. Perhaps the uh, most boring of his books, if you're uh, looking for, I don't know, stereotypical Nietzsche. It's got a good a good point in it that I think about often about what plays are like and things like that. But anyhow, that's the recommendation for me. So this has been another episode of Software Defined Talk, episode 155. You can get the show notes for this episode and other episodes if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There's also a great Slack channel that every week is getting more and more activity in it. We talk about things here and there that don't come up or that do come up. And also, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, you can join it there. And thanks to uh, NoSSHJJ, you don't have to wait for us to accept you. It just goes right in there. Do they still not have that in Slack where people can auto-sign so. up? I just joined a Slack today. It's, it's, it's still the same. Oh, oh man. That, weird thing. That's, yeah. that has to be like a, uh, a point of like uh, intransigent pride. Like just that we are not going to ever add that until nope. until we get acquired by a company and uh, and and the 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 butter guy like leaves because he's he's going to go start another game company and then they're going to add an Active Directory integration and single sign on and you won't have to uh, do this ridiculous stuff <laughs> but you know you got to stick to your principles if we've learned anything about changing the world stick to your guns uh, so with that we'll see everyone next time bye bye. I'll I'll do I'll do Matt Ray's voice. Bye.